You're listening to Coffee Talk with the Liturgy Guys. Excuse me. I happen to be passing. I thought you might like some coffee. Oh, that's very nice of you. Thank you. Because if beer is proof of God's love for us, then coffee is proof of his mercy. Oremus, caffeine, come to my assistance. Put that coffee down. This is not a real episode of The Literature Guys. Coffee's for closes only. There's no topic that we're discussing, and we're not even talking about liturgy the whole time. Are you telling us absolutely everything? Not exactly. We're also out of coffee. <laughs> so without further ado, another Coffee Talk episode of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. Ba-dum, bum, ba-dum, bum. Dennis. Yo. Jesse. What's up? Uh, a lot of things are up. Not quite up yet, but they will be soon. All right. Like what? Like I am soon to become the executive director of the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Whoa. Wow. That's big news. Yeah, I know. I've been here at the Liturgical Institute for 19 years. That's how old I am. Yeah, well, you were in diapers when I was here. <laughs> I'm still in diapers. Yeah, you're still in diapers. Never See, got Even that yesterday, fixed. you were still in Never diapers. Never got that fixed. Yeah, but... Um, I got this wonderful offer from the president of Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas, to come be a faculty member and to start this thing called the Center for Beauty and Culture. And after much soul searching and prayer and spiritual direction and all the things, decided to accept that position. Well, that is marvelous. What does this mean for the liturgy guys, you might ask? I, that is, you took the words right out of my mouth. Absolutely nothing. So I will still in a good be way. a member of the liturgy guys, Chris, and you and I will still be doing this just as normal. We'll be starting the fall season at some point, just as normal. And we'll figure out how to do it, whether we do this through distance or I come up here or whatever. But the liturgy guys will continue. That's the plan. Uh, it's a part of this whole initiative. It's, it's kind of a bigger thing than Benedictine itself, right? Can you tell me a little more, like, what, what is, what's the foundation of the, can I call it the CBC? Uh, well, we haven't called it that yet. That, that, that is something else, though, CBCs or something else. But anyway, you know, Benedictine College is a um, pretty small but decently sized Catholic college in Atchison, Kansas, which is about an hour from Kansas City. And about 20 years ago, they had a strategic plan where they decided they wanted to be authentically Catholic, to have this intentional Catholic identity as a number of schools have. And since they started doing that, the student numbers have grown. They've been building buildings, new dorms, new donors, new academic center. They've been beautifying the campus. And it's become this kind of high energy place for sane, intelligent, and I would say balanced Catholic enthusiasm. You so know, you will not fit in. I will not fit in there. <laughs> you know, Focus was founded there, the Fellowship oh, of yeah, Catholic University right. students. And so the very first Focus conference was like 22 students, and it was on their yeah. campus a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I've ago. heard Curtis Martin say that. That's and a good story. And now it's, you know, thousands and thousands of people. And so the president, uh, his name is Stephen Minnis, has kind of planned out like the next 20-year plan. And they don't really expect that they're going to double their student population again. But they do want to go out and have the riches that are at the college be turned outward to support the larger culture. So they have this plan called Transforming Culture in America. So they have a business school, for instance, and they started it recently. It's doing quite well. And then they started the Center for Business Ethics, I think it's called, so that they have a Catholic vision of business. The CBE. The CBE, (laughs) the Catholic vision of um, business 
that the rest of the world needs to hear. You know, if business is just, you know, dog eat dog, cut the head off your enemies and stomp on his grave. Well, that's not really the Catholic worldview. So how can they have publications, conferences, podcasts, things about business ethics from the Catholic point of view? So then they they have another one, I think, on law and democracy. And so they're trying to start these centers one by one to uh, help the larger culture in America, which seems to be fraying, you know, all of its edges. So one of the things they wanted to do was start one for the arts and beauty. And so um, the president called about two months ago, didn't give me much time (laughs) to plan or think and said, Mm -hmm. hey, we want you. We know your vision of liturgy and art and architecture and beauty. And um, would you consider coming to do this? So I said I would think about it and pray about it. And I did and agreed to take it. Yeah. So So here we are. Yep. So uh, August 19th will be my first day. Yeah, we're going to take a a broad a broad trip. A broad trip, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesse said to me, "Hey, you want me to go down, drive down there with you?" And I was like, "Do uh, you remember what I said to you when you offered?" He said, uh, uh, "I don't remember actually." I said, "Before I answer this, know that I'm going to take you up on this offer. Oh. So make sure you really mean this." <laughs> and then you actually said it again. So. We're going to drive down in a 12-foot Pinsky truck. In the last year, we've been inching towards longer trips together in mm-hmm. the car, and so far we haven't hit that threshold of intolerability. So, Well, we'll have a quiet hour halfway through. It's like oh. silent hour. Oh, okay. Jesse, take a nap. Just take yeah, a nap. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, so you decided it would be a two-Chef Boyardee ravioli trip. Yes, it's going to require two stops, <laughs> each in which we eat Chef Boyardee ravioli. So... This is the story. We went to Des Moines. Is that where we, we oh, went was it to Des Moines, Moines or was it Focus? I forget. It was, was Des Moines. Des Moines. It was right. this five-hour trip, and we stopped to kind of have lunch or snack or whatever. At a gas and, station in Nowheresville. And, uh, there's this joke about Dennis eating Chef Boyardee out of a can every Just day. Just because I'm a bachelor who lives alone in the <laughs> university room, Kevin always imagines that I sit on a stool under a single light bulb eating coal ravioli out of a can. So we're, so we're at a gas station, and we were hungry. So he gets a can of ravioli. Which, if you actually look at the nutrient label, is actually pretty darn good. It's got fiber and vegetables. Sodium's not so good. But you don't have to cook it, and it's better than a hot dog or whatever. So, so, so you eat that. I purchased a chicken salad sandwich on a croissant from the gas station. Then we took a picture of our lunch and sent it to Kevin. And he responded immediately, I'm more concerned about Jesse's chicken salad sandwich yeah. from a gas station. Because you can't mess up something that's yeah, already in a the can. The stuff in a can at least is, you know, controlled environment when they make the stuff. Hopefully, substance. Hopefully sterile, you know, inside. That chicken sandwich, who knows how long it was under those may, heat, heat lamps there. It may never have left my body yet. Yeah, well, <laughs> so anyway, that's for a five-hour drive. So I thought an eight-hour drive to Atchison might it, be a two-ravioli yep, stop. That's kind of a two-ravioli trip. trip for sure. Yeah, this is how you measure the length of trips, not by my Miles, but by, by ravioli, by ravioli cans. cans. Yep, yeah, definitely absolutely. for sure. Maybe one of them be ravioli and one of them can be beefaroni. That would be good. So, so starting immediately, you'll be teaching, right? Is that the plan? Yes. So I'm. Uh, they offer me a tenured uh, faculty position. I don't know what that means. Tenure is... Is that when you work somewhere 10 years? Mm-hmm. Well, that's probably where it came from etymologically, but tenure is when you, um, you've proven your academic worth at a college. So you come out of a grad school, say, with a doctorate, and you haven't really done much yet. And you teach, and you provide leadership in your field, and you publish articles and books, and then they've decided, hmm, you're a promising scholar, and we want you to have the freedom to stay here and publish without worry of getting fired. And so tenure basically means you have job security until you retire. 
you know, unless you murder your students mm-hmm. or something, you know, violate the policies of the school. And even then, pretty hard to get rid of. Well, I think the murdering the students is, <laughs> is one of the, one of the uh, clauses in the tenure um, agreement. Um, so what happens normally is you have th- six years and then you have a tenure review. And if you're not found worthy of tenure, you basically lose your job. And so this is what they talk about, publish or perish, you know, publish things, publish things oh, for your I tenure see, review yeah. or you lose your job and then you have to go somewhere else. So if you're at Harvard or something, it's extremely difficult to get tenure because the best of the best there and they're not going to give you a lifetime appointment if you're a slacker. Mm-hmm. And so um, to get tenure, you know, in some places is very difficult, some places less difficult. But when someone offers you tenure, that means they recognize the work that you've already done and you have this kind of job security. So it's not just, hey, I won't get fired, but to say that they know what I've done, they recognize my record of teaching and publication. So it's, a, it's an honor, in a sense, to be offered that, and it's a, it's a good thing for How do I get tenure? Well, first you get a doctorate, then apply for oh, a tenure right? track position. Let's, stop. Let's just stop right there. Then teach and write and publish and provide leadership in your I don't want to do any of that. Okay, well then... No tenure for you. <laughs> no tenure for you. Uh, okay, so you're teaching a few classes. So I'll be teaching three classes each okay. semester and then have what they call the course reduction. Normally there they have four classes each semester, but because I'll be starting this Center for Beauty and Culture, they give me a little reduction of So classes. what's that going to be like? What do you have? What's the... Honestly, I don't know yet. Okay. So I'm going to get to my office and say, okay, what's a Center for Beauty and Culture? And I don't know yet. This is how it was when I came to the literature. Then you're going to call me and you're going to be like... Just hey, what, how do I start as a center of culture and beauty? Right. What I know it's not is it is not a cosmetology program, right? So mm-hmm. it's not like a beauty school. <laughs> it's a beauty school, but it's not a beauty school. Right. So we're not we won't be doing anybody's nails or makeup or or hair, mm-hmm. you know, highlights. Um, but I think the idea that they have in mind is somehow you would have lectures, maybe podcasts, maybe. Um, a symposium where you bring people in so you take kind of the the great things that people at the college are thinking and doing and writing and publishing and then you present it to a larger audience so how that actually happens i don't know yet ask me a year from now and i'll tell you what i've done so I'll the first thing you, i plan to I'll do give is, you more than a year to ask is you. go to meet the other directors of these of these centers and see what it is they've been doing and i answer directly to the academic dean so i'll ask her how did, what does she envision this center being but i think she thinks that the liturgy guys will be in part an outreach of the center for beauty and culture because i also think that we'll be talking about stuff related to beauty and culture here and we have and we'll continue to do so and the plan is that you know even though you'll be out there working that you'll still be able to come and teach in the summers and oh yeah i'm not dead yeah. i'm just in another state you're dead to kevin that's what he said yeah so i don't dead to yeah, me yeah i, I get it yeah. He, he's still crying about my departure. <laughs> I'll, I'll be crying about my departure soon too. Yeah. But you know, the, um, if, you know, they, if I'm invited back here, it's funny to say if they invite me, cause I've always been the mm-hmm. one doing the, inviting. if I invite me for two decades, <laughs> I've been the inviter. Um, but if they want me to come back, teach in the summer or speak at a conference or do an online class or something, you know, I'm totally open to doing that. Uh, as the youngest member of the staff of the Liturgical Institute, For I offer you a tenure of speaking at the Liturgical well, Institute. Well, thank you, Jesse. <laughs> now I have... That means you can speak whatever you want. Do I have a lifetime appointment a lifetime to, the, to the, the liturgy guys? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm, there you go. Oh, yeah. I might want to be released from the liturgy guys if, you're yeah. not, if you don't behave yourself. But. <laughs> no, we've done good work. I mean, I don't know how you experience it, but I run into people all the time. They're like, oh, man, the liturgy guys totally changed my understanding of liturgy. Or, you know, I pray differently or as a priest, you know, I've got all these questions answered. And I've learned so much from listening to Chris. You know, when Chris and I talk, it almost sounds like we both know everything that the other one knows, but we don't. And so 
I just and I, I know nothing. So I just did this retreat for the Rockford uh, seminarians, and then they asked me some question that Chris had answered on the liturgy guy. So I was just like boom, 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 and it's just I always known it. So it's been an educational thing for me as well, which is really great. Um, you know, I think the uh, the podcast is really great. I've had a lot of people come up to me. I'm not kidding. A lot of people come up to me or send me an email or whatever, saying that they really enjoyed the series on Sacrosanctum Concilium. Isn't Even though amazing? Chris didn't believe it. Of course, yeah. If, you, if you're interested in liturgical stuff, what do you want? An in-depth, long-term investigation into the heart of the liturgical questions of our time. We should. Kevin, Kevin says we should do a book on that, yeah. I, I'm not going to write anything, Kevin. Never. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, think that was really, I think that was really great. I think we should kind of look do a little digging and mm-hmm. see if there's a little mini-series we can do next season. Yeah, well, so there if you are... Have any su- if any there, listeners have suggestions... There are instructions hear. on the implementation of Vatican what? II, right? So there's five of them at least. So Chris and I talked about doing going through those because a council document says, you know, the right should be drawn up, you know, and revised as quickly as possible. They don't tell you how you do it. They say it should be translated into the vernacular, but they don't give the rules to do it. So later on, you have to have instructions on how to do it. So... Musicum Sacrum is the instruction on music in the liturgy based on the requests of Sacrosan and Concilium. So to go through that, which I think we did already in season two, um, but to go through the other instructions. Um, so that's something we'll do. Hopefully that'll be. How many different? There's five categories? There are five instructions. I think there's five instructions. So Liturgium Authenticum was one. Man, uh, that's the one on notice. translations. And then wow. Veritatis Legitime was one. And then there were a couple early ones that... Um, the Vatican II came out, and everybody's like, what do we do? And so they gave instructions on how to do things. Boy, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Plus, there are encyclicals on the liturgy. There's the endless writing of Pope Benedict. There's the great liturgical scholars of the 20th century, you know, Yves Congar, and all these great, great minds who led up to Vatican II. We've talked about some of them you know, very briefly. There is an endless supply of things to talk about in the liturgy. You know, this uh, Center for the beautifying culture <laughs> beauty and culture <laughs> i can't remember it kind of sounds like what the what the guys were doing during the liturgical movement of mm-hmm. just kind of getting together having these conversations looking at where the culture needed improvement and mm-hmm. then how how could that be sanctified in that process what would that look like well the idea is that the arts are one of the very important ways that culture is transmitted right so you see art from the 1500s and you're like oh yeah that's how they envisioned you know christ on the cross or that's this was so central to their life that they would build this giant cathedral if you didn't have that art in that cathedral you wouldn't really know what people thought about their religion in that day we talk about the middle ages as this age of faith because they could you know pool all their resources and build all these wonderful cathedrals that's how we know what culture once was and that culture is handed on to us and so the arts aren't just my expression of my emotion or a little you know, decorative painting over my couch in the living room, although it is that. But more importantly, it hands on to the next generation an actual tangible thing that you can say, oh yeah, that's what the last generation thought was important and that's the, what they knew and understood and now I have access to that as well. So when John Paul was you know, being persecuted in Poland before the communists, first by the Nazis and then by the communists, culture, culture, culture. They were learning plays. They were learning the Polish songs. They were learning Polish While history. While those entities were trying to destroy they the They were culture. trying to eradicate Poland Literally from the Literally just destroying right? art. Right, because they thought of the Poles as like vermin that needed to be extinguished. Um, not just the Jews by the Nazis, but the Poles mm-hmm. themselves. And then the communists, of course, were trying to get rid of that fussy Catholic Poland, that stubbornly Catholic Poland that wouldn't give up their Catholicism. And John Paul's like, no, 
culture is how this is transmitted. And so it's an important part of how you go out to the world and say, hey, Jesus isn't just that person you talk to privately in your bed at night. It's part of the lived experience of the life of a culture. And culture is related to that word cult, right? Mm -hmm. So Pope Benedict said in his book, um, Truth and Tolerance, that um, culture is the record of a human being's search for the divinity and his understanding of the divinity. So whatever that is. If God is meant to be worshipped a certain way in song, with vesture, with vessels, with texts, with bookbinding, with buildings, all of those things are the way that a human being understands their relationship to God. And so that's where culture, properly speaking, comes from. It's not just the record of whatever you do on a Saturday afternoon. Somebody <laughs> digs up all, all those beer cans you throw in the ground in your backyard, and then they're like, oh, that's culture? Well, not really. I only drink beer from bottles. Okay, Dennis. well, they dig up all Come those on. bottles you throw in the ground <laughs> in your backyard. That's a little bit of culture, but high culture is that about the, um, that people do that's closest to fullness of truth. So you could say a mass that's composed, that's more heavenly, is a higher culture because it's most like the origin of culture itself, which is that right relationship with the divinity. I think we want it. We all want that stuff. We want truth and beauty through all of that. Mm-hmm. It's a desire for us to know God, and it's, yeah. that's the route in which a lot of us take to, to get there. Right. Think of something as simple as a birthday present or a birthday party or putting candles on a cake and singing happy birthday. That was handed to you by somebody, right? Your parents or your grandparents or somebody taught you that song. And you feel special in that moment because everybody's looking at you and they're singing to you and you're ready to blow out the candles. And then there's this box with paper and ribbon on it. And that's a cultural move. It's how we say, I'm glad you were born. We're remembering that you were born. Your birthday is when our lives became better. And so that's an expression of love. And it's all evident in those things that we do. And if you just say, oh, it's your birthday, who cares? Well, mm-hmm. you're not actually transmitting the notion of the person being valued. And that's why people get all hurt when nobody remembers their birthday. Speaking just, of which. Yes. Kevin, did you have something to tell me a month ago, a couple months ago? Oh, it was your birthday, wasn't it? And you didn't tell us. No, it was my birthday. Oh, and Jesse's birthday, you didn't tell. <laughs> you didn't tell him it was his birthday. <laughs> he says happy birthday. Uh, oh, happy thank you birthday. Very much. And oh, speaking of birthday, He's now glad that we're you were getting uh, uh, all this information out for you guys, uh, I will be taking paternity leave for quite a bit of the fall. So. If you guys could just be patient with us while we figure out how we're going to do all this uh, new recordings and get, get everything out and all this stuff. We just have to do some reworking mm-hmm. and things like that. But, but the liturgy guys will continue. Still continue. We'll figure everything out. Just be patient with us while we kind of figure out all the transition stuff. But we're excited to bring a season four, maybe with some instructions for the implementation of Sacrosanct. Oh, yeah, and all kinds of other good things. Yeah, absolutely. And just so that it, in case it needs to be said... There is no secret plot to get rid of me here. There's no bishop, no rector, no boss, <laughs> no people <laughs> who are trying to say, get rid of Dennis, or we want to change anything at the liturgical institute. It's not like that at all. It's just that I've been here a long time, and this offer came, and it just seemed like where God wanted me, so I'm going. The liturgical institute is meant to continue just as it is. They're going to find a director, and its curriculum will go on, and its particular contribution to the world of theological studies will go on. So... It's just basically, as they say, all about me, right? Mm-hmm. It's, somebody offered me something that's really great, and it was time to go take it. And in a, in a way, this is really good because it allows it, it just further extends the Liturgical Institute mission. I mean, right. David Fagerberg used to teach for us and he used right. to work for us, and now he's over at Notre Dame doing his thing and mm-hmm. bringing Li that like our hermeneutic to Notre Dame and the way they look Ooh, at yeah. um, 
they work at liturgy. Right. So I'll be teaching undergrads, and there are many, many theology majors at Benedictine, and, and they started a new architecture program there as well that now has a kind of classical identity. I assume I'll be involved with that somehow. Don't really know quite yet. Um, so we're spreading the riches of the liturgical institute out, and then hopefully I'll be able to encourage students to consider the liturgical institute for That's, graduate school. Hey, yeah, look at that. That's giving like, you job security, mm-hmm. Jesse. Yeah, yeah. Like, a, like, what is that called? Like a tenure or something like that? <laughs> um, the best tenure is having students in our program. Yeah, so. that's true. So, all right, Dennis. Well, we will miss you a lot, but not for too much because you'll be back on the podcast. Who are you for again? Season four. What's your name again? <laughs> Jesse. Hey, oh, yeah. We're taking a bro trip I'm already, together. oh, Come yeah, on. yeah, yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> I'm already checking out. Okay. <laughs> all right. Thank you and God bless, Kevin. He says, bye, everybody. Now that's a podcast. You've been listening to an episode of Coffee Talk with the Liturgy Guys. Our theme music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. I, I had too much coffee.